Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Thanks to the air as we get to the middle part of the week. Closing in on the Christmas. Is it really a Christmas weekend if Christmas lands on Monday? Yep. Is that what it works? It is. Okay. It's a long weekend. Okay. Well, then I'm sure that uh, many of you out there in agriculture land are planning to work the holiday. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Animals still have to be fed. You know, growing up, I could never open Christmas presents until we were done milking. That's right. Mm. It's just how it was. uh, It never ends, and that's just the the way life goes. And I never understood why Santa didn't bring elves to do the milking chores. Hmm. That would have been a great idea. I know. (laughs) I want an elf. I want, I want a milking a, elf. I want a milking elf for oh, Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're surrounded, of course, with the uh, the roundtable here. And we have uh, Susan over here on the ag microphone today. Innovation is alive and well at Mid Plains Community College. This is the coolest thing. You're going to hear more about this at 1245. Jared Daly has been teaching a group of students, and they are designing a soybean thresher. And like soybeans thresher. Yeah, and you looked at me when I told you about this, yeah. but it's to collect the beans that are going to be used for seed. Okay. So you can't lose, you know, with a regular combine, you're going to lose a certain percentage of soybeans as you harvest the right. field. Right. With the soybean thresher they're designing, it brings that percentage way down. Mm-hmm. And they're actually doing it for a client. It isn't just a classroom project. So we'll nice. talk more about that at 1245. 1219, Shaley's going to be talking to Brian Teeter on prescribed burning workshops. That's right up my alley. And at 117, Bryce talks to some college students with are helping out the Omaha Home for Boys as they learn to clip calves. They do? Yeah, the Omaha Home for Boys has got an amazing farm program uh-huh. there. So there's a group of college students there teaching these kids a little bit more about agriculture. All right. We'll listen intently to hear that. Brandon Bennett is over here, and you were talking about uh, the bowl games again. And what's this about a new degree of difficulty? It's going to be s- as if it wasn't hard enough to follow all of the different FBS bowl games out there. Right. I'm going to throw you a curveball here, and of course, K-State Wildcat fans know that their team is taking on UCLA in the 2017 Cactus Bowl. That's on December 26th. The Cactus Bowl is currently under its fourth name and at its third different stadium. <laughs> And then you and I were marveling yesterday about the length of one of the bowl names that seemed to be an entire paragraph. So yeah, we're right. going to talk about the Wildcats and the UCLA Bruins coming up. But, yes, the Cactus Bowl, fourth different name, third different stadium, as if we needed more confusion about the entirety of the bowl season. So what is the lineage of the Cactus Bowl? Uh, we're not going to get into that. We're, we're going to be here all day. We have a limited <laughs> amount of time here on midday. It's midday. It's not mid-all-afternoon day. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Understood. And we have, uh, of course, Bob broken at the business desk. President Donald Trump is celebrating the GOP tax legislation claiming it fulfills his campaign promise to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Um, small detail, the bill only repeals the individual mandate, but for right now, uh, let's let uh, sleeping Donald slay. <laughs> well done, Bob. And, uh, let's be diplomatic, shall also, we? Also, and if that wasn't enough, and it should be, Stocks are a little bit higher on Wall Street in midday trading, and economic growth is expected to remain solid in Nebraska through the second quarter of 2018, according to a UNL report. All right. All of this and more coming up on today's Midday Program. 
I'm so busy looking at the weather maps here that I forgot to press the button to start our <laughs> ag weather with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Coolman Repair. Yeah, we do have some clouds still across the area, but starting to see some clearing, uh, some sunshine from about Broken Bow to east of North Platte down to around the McCook area. But a fair amount of clouds across the area. We are expecting some partly cloudy skies for today. One more nice day, Dirk, before the big change on yeah. the way for tomorrow. And it's going to be a pretty big one. It's and it has a little staying power the way it looks. Exactly. It looks like it's going to stay with us pretty much through the first of the year. Warm front today pushing some slightly warmer area into western areas, while temperatures will be pretty much nearly the same as what we saw yesterday in the central and east. Low pressure will push a strong cold front into Nebraska overnight tonight. Moisture ahead of that front may allow some fog to develop after midnight and some drizzle early tomorrow morning, especially to the south and east of the Tri-Cities. We are looking at the potential for that significant wintery precipitation tomorrow continuing to diminish. Right now, the threat not as big as what we were thinking, but we are going to see some areas of light snow and freezing drizzle. As that colder air moves in tomorrow afternoon, the freezing drizzle switching over to some light snow. There may be some slick spots from the freezing drizzle, but little or no snow accumulation expected in most areas as it does come to an end tomorrow night. Looks like the better chances of some uh, light accumulations of snow farther north in northern Nebraska. Otherwise, the westerly winds Friday will clear the skies out, warm our temperatures just a little bit. Snow chances are back, though, for Saturday and Saturday night with another area of low pressure. But this does not look to be a big deal. Most of the forecast models keep the bulk of that system to the southwest. That quiet and cold weather returns for Sunday on into the Christmas holiday and much of early next week. There could be a chance of some snow with another system by next Wednesday into Thursday. For our long-term forecast, the likelihood remains high for colder-than-normal temperatures in Nebraska, Kansas, and pretty much all of the U.S. Christmas Day through the first two days of the new year. Not the only exceptions to the colder-than-normal weather is across the far southwest, but all of us going to be on the colder-than-normal side for quite a while. Warmer air is expected to start approaching from the southwest after about the second of next month. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation in the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Christmas Day through the 2nd of January. Your weather factors driving market decisions include the continuation of promising rain chances across South America and generally dry weather for the southern plains. A strong cold front will push south across the plains the next couple of days. That will reach the east coast over the weekend. Rain will be light across the southern and central plains. Moderate to heavy rain expected in the south central U.S. The Delta and Tennessee Valley in line for the heavy rain amounts. That will be actually beneficial, though, for recharging the soil moisture in soft red winter wheat areas. Warm and dry weather continue to stress the non-dormant wheat in the southern plains and very little rain expected with this batch of colder air moving in. Dryness is expected to remain in place across the southern plains and threaten the wheat crop when it exits dormancy in the spring. The northern plains may see an increase in livestock stress and transportation problems when a brief winter storm moves in around Christmas. Otherwise, plenty of beneficial rain in the forecast in Argentina and central Brazil in the next week to 10 days. Soil moisture levels also increasing in southern Brazil after they've had some recent heat and dryness.
Coleman Repair brings us our midday ag weather with Paul, and uh, we just got this in from the uh, Weather Service in uh, North Platte. They're talking about more a light snow event than they are a, uh, a freezing drizzle event at this point. So they're talking about probably low to moderate impact to travel, at least in the western portions of the state. Exactly, and on into Cherry County, because uh, North Platte does cover west-central Nebraska and uh, north-central Nebraska. So. All right. so there we go. It's uh, likely to come and likely to stay cold for quite a little while here so take that all into account as you're making your holiday travel plans and luckily just make sure you got to have the heater going because christmas travel otherwise should be good going yep <laughs> and uh, whenever you need any help with weather go to krvn.com Good afternoon. As we take a look at the market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Continuing with some higher numbers in the corn and the wheat. The beans are still to the lower, but they are starting to creep themselves back into some positive. Year's final approval. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The Senate early Wednesday morning voted for a sweeping $1.5 trillion tax reform bill, but the House has to revote on the measure early Wednesday because Senate rules required the elimination of a few provisions from the bill that the House approved earlier Tuesday. The House revote set for Wednesday will delay just slightly a major legislative victory for President Donald Trump and Republicans who sought for decades to reform the tax code. The White House has scheduled an early afternoon event to celebrate the bill's passage. A major accounting firm noted that the bill would provide some benefits to farmers but pointed out that all the benefits, including an estate tax reform, will expire in about eight years. And the disaster bill includes language on cottonseed dairy ag disaster funds. House Republican leaders on Tuesday released a hurricane and wildfire disaster package that would also attempt to deal with problems in the cotton and dairy programs and cut the supplemental nutrition assistance program, but the bill's future was uncertain. Republicans had indicated they would add the disaster package and several other measures to the continuing resolution, but Politico reported that the Republicans had abandoned plans to fund the Pentagon for the rest of the fiscal year and decided that the disaster bill would have to have a separate vote. House Republican leaders hope to vote on any bills Thursday and leave Washington on the assumption that the Senate will accept their bill rather than return next week, Politico said. The bill would also repeal the existing cap on dairy and all livestock insurance policies in the Federal Crop Insurance Act and set up an interstate database or system of databases of SNAP information to be known as the National Accuracy Clearinghouse. Senate Agriculture Committee Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from Michigan, criticized the bill for not doing enough for dairy and for cutting nutrition programs. While I'm encouraged that the House has recognized the need to support both dairy and cotton, the bill misses an important opportunity to repair the broken dairy safety net. And the first rise in farmland values in four years in the top U.S. corn-growing state may prove only a temporary break. Researchers cautioned warning over a prolonged downturn in the farm economy and the risk posed by NAFTA renegotiation. Farmland prices in the Midwest state of Iowa, which is often the top soybean-producing state, too, rose by 2% to average $7,326 per acre in the year to November, Iowa State University said. The rebound, which follows three years over which prices tumbled by 17.6%, tallies with findings from the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Central Bank, which estimated Iowa land prices at being 2% higher in the July to September quarter than a year before. 
and a new project at Mid Plains Community College could have an impact on farmers across the state. Students in Jared Daly's Introduction to Engineering Design class are designing a small soybean thresher for UNL's West Central Research and Extension Center in North Platte. This year we went to uh, Professor Rodrigo Worley. He, he gave us a, a project this year to, to build a soybean thresher that was small enough that it could fit in their lab and was also very good at um, at removing the removing the beans from the plants without losing any beans because that's very important when they're doing the research. Most of the most of the industrial soybean threshers, of course, are doing this. They're, they're threshing beans for produce, and you know they have a, an acceptable loss percentage that they they work with. But when you're doing research, you really have to account for every bean because you're usually measuring mass or moisture content or um, counting the number of beans per plant or whatever else. And so um, we're trying, to, we're trying to, to fill that need for them. A quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Several prescribed fire training workshops have been announced for 2018. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and our guest today to visit with us about this is Brian Teeter. He's a prescribed fire coordinating wildlife biologist with Pheasants Forever. And Brian, you are coordinating these workshops, partnering up with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. So just start off by talking about why you're hosting these workshops and what you're looking forward to. Sure, thank you. Um, we are going to be holding some informational um, you know, workshops about prescribed fire across the state. Uh, in the past few years, uh, we have had seen a large increase in the number of prescribed fire that is happening on the landscape uh, here in Nebraska. And so Pheasants Forever and the Nebraska Game and Parks um, basically got together and said, you know, we need to put together a system to train landowners and uh, landscape professionals um, across the state on how to properly use prescribed fire. Um, and so we put together this training uh, where basically we go from, you know, the planning of a prescribed fire all the way through executing a prescribed fire um, in a, in a day long workshop. One thing that's important to point out, Brian, is that these workshops are open to anyone. Is that right? Yep. So we don't need any, ex- any previous experience. Uh, don't need any previous experience uh, to attend these workshops. And we have 13 of them going on across the state. Uh, they run through January and February. And uh, anybody can come and, uh, you know, and, and see what we have uh, have going on. All right. And now for the important details. When will these be held? I know they're upcoming here in 2018. And then where? I, these are being hosted all across the state of Nebraska. Is that right? Really giving anybody interested the opportunity not having to travel too far sure so uh you know we're starting off on january 16th uh in scott's bluff uh we're in on the 17th we're in alliance 24th we're in mccook january 30th we're in grand island and norfolk january 31st we're going to be in lincoln and february 7th we're going to be in broken bow and those are going to be our uh, basic workshops uh, we also have uh, advanced workshops that are going to be going on, uh, which are basically kind of a um, additional add-on to our basic workshops um, that kind of get, dive into more detail of a specific aspect of prescribed fire. And uh, we got ones coming up on January 16th in Maywood, January 17th in Hebron, 
January 18th in Imperial, and then February 15th in Neely. And then we have also one in April 4th that's going to be in Tecama. Um, if you would like to register, uh, it's $10, and that fee covers uh, training materials, refreshments, and even a noon meal. And you can register by contacting Ashley at 308-850-8395 or by visiting NebraskaPF.com and going to our store and registering there. And one more time, there's a cost involved with this, but not a very big one. Really, a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, it's a $10 registration fee, and that basically covers uh, the noon uh, meal that we have uh, at these workshops. All right, thanks so much. Brian Teeter, Prescribed Fire Coordinating Wildlife Biologist, our guest today, talking to us about the series of 13 basic and advanced workshops that are being held across the state upcoming in 2018. For more, you can visit ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Midday on the Rural Radio Network and a chance to check sports with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. Kate Kane nabbed a triple-double last night for the Husker women's basketball team when she scored 22 points, grabbed 14 rebounds, and also had a school-record 11 blocks to help propel Nebraska to an 86-69 win over Florida Atlantic yesterday evening at the Pinnacle Bank Arena. The Huskers notched their fifth straight win and improved at 9-3 overall. Senior forward Trey Landsman had 26 points, and the UNK men's basketball team made a season-high 13 three-pointers to pull away from Hastings College last night, 93-64 at the Health and Sports Center in Kearney. Head coach Kevin Lofton talked about the win. We needed a shot in the arm uh, after getting swept on the road. Uh, obviously, anytime you go on the road in conference, you want to try to get a split, and we were una- unable to do that. But thankfully, we were able to bounce back and, and go into uh, the Christmas break with some positive vibes, and hopefully coming back off of the break, we can build on this. The Lopers enter their two-week holiday break with a 6-7 and seven record. The Broncos remain at 9-6, and six, as this was an exhibition game per NAIA rules. Winners of four of the last five regular season games and looking to win consecutive bowl games for the first time since 1999 and 2000, Kansas State takes on UCLA in the 2017 Cactus Bowl on December 26th. That's at Chase Field in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. This year's Cactus Bowl is one of the more exciting bowl matchups of the season as the Wildcats put their winning ways on the line against a Bruin team that features an outstanding passing game. The Cactus Bowl marks the 21st bowl game in Kansas State football history and the 19th under Hall of Fame head coach Bill Snyder. The Wildcats are riding a streak of eight straight bowl games, a mark that's tied for 13th nationally. This will be K-State's fourth appearance in the Cactus Bowl, a contest that is currently under its fourth different name and located at a third different stadium. Now in his 15th season, LeBron James is about to turn 33 years old, and he might just be getting better. James is averaging 28.2 points, better than 9 assists, and more than 8 rebounds on 57% shooting for the season. That's including a 41% mark from beyond 3-point range and 78% from the free throw line. And in all six of those categories, he's outperforming his career averages. The only other player to average 28 points, 9 assists, and 8 rebounds in a full season were Oscar Robertson, who did it five times, and Russell Westbrook and James Harden, who both did it just last year. But none of them were ever in their 30s when they did it. And prior to yesterday, just two women's basketball coaches had ever earned 1,000 career victories, but yesterday, that number doubled as Connecticut's Gino Oriyama and Sylvia Hatchell of North Carolina reached that milestone to join Pat Summit and Tara Vanderveer. 
Oriyama approved to a career record of 1,000 wins against just 135 losses at UConn as the top-ranked Huskies cruised past Oklahoma 88-64. That helped Oriyama to become the fastest coach ever to win 1,000 games. And just hours earlier, Coach Sylvia Hatchell of North Carolina reached the mark when the Tar Heels whipped Grambling State 79-63, to Hatchell has 1,000 wins against 376 losses during her 43-year career. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. A strong cold front will track through western and north-central Nebraska tonight. An approaching upper-level disturbance will lead to the development of snow across the central Rockies and high plains of Nebraska and southeast Wyoming. I'm Dave Schroeder. Shortly after 9 a.m. this morning, a semi-accident was reported along Interstate 80 in Dawson County. KRVN Scott Foster filed this report earlier from the scene. There was a fatality accident this morning on Interstate 80, about mile marker 229, just west of the Dar Interchange. Driver of a semi-tanker truck left the roadway. He then tried to correct, which caused the load to shift and roll into the north ditch where the driver was killed. The state patrol have not released the name of the driver pending notification of next of kin. From Interstate 80, I'm Scott Foster. Shortly after a vehicle was reported stolen in eastern Nebraska, it was involved in a fatal crash with two other vehicles. Grand Island Police Captain Jim During says officers believe the person who died in the crash was driving the stolen vehicle. At least one other person was taken to the hospital after the crash, shortly after it happened around 7 a.m. this morning in Grand Island. A collision with a power pole in winter driving conditions can put a motorist close to an energized power line. Dawson Public Power District is encouraging drivers to observe some safety tips when in a vehicle accident involving power lines. One, stay in the car. If a car hits a power pole or otherwise brings a power line down, drivers and passengers should stay in the vehicle and call 911 for help. In most cases, that is the safest option. Dawson Public Power District Communications Specialist Chelsea Gingenbaugh. The safest thing that you can do if you need to exit and there's a fire is to stand on the edge of your vehicle's door, cross your arms across your chest or keep them close at your sides and jump with your feet together landing. Do not touch the car when you jump out of the vehicle. Remember, you don't want to be that path to ground. Then you either need to take small bunny hops or you need to shuffle your feet at least 50 feet away from the car to stay safe. By avoiding contact with the vehicle and keeping the feet together, passengers could minimize the chance of becoming a path for electrical current to flow. Kansas State is hiring consultants to help it reverse declining enrollment. The university said it will pay Huron Consulting to help the school reconsider its enrollment plan. In October, the Kansas Board of Regents announced that Kansas State recorded the largest percentage drop in enrollment this fall of the state's six regents' universities. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. A new project at Mid Plains Community College could have an impact on farmers across the state of Nebraska. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 
Instructor Jared Daly talks about the work that's been done to design a soybean thresher by students at the college. Okay, so uh, the class that these students are taking is called Introduction to Engineering Design. During the course of the class, we try to teach them some of the basic transferable skills uh, in engineering that are just kind of useful everywhere, uh, including teamwork and planning and um, economics and other things like this. We give them these basic skills so that they can use them further as they further their career in engineering and their engineering education. And towards the end of the class, when we've kind of done with the book work and the, the, the classwork kind of stuff, towards maybe the last third or half of the class, we try to uh, find a project for them, a kind of a real-world project, where the students can apply some of these skills uh, without having to have a lot of background in engineering and uh, actually uh, complete some kind of a project or come close to completing some kind of a project. And for the past few years, I've been I've been looking towards the um, UNL West Central uh, Research Extension out here in North Platte for ideas. Several of the professors out there have research projects where they need um, special things made. Um, and special needs for their project, and we try to find something that we can do for them, something that's within our within our reach, and uh, we plan it out and we design it, and then we try to prototype it and test it. And this year we went to uh, Professor Rodrigo Worley, who um, actually is leaving <laughs> UNL to go to Wisconsin, but he he gave us a, a project this year to to build a soybean thresher that was small enough that it could fit in their lab and was also very good at um, at removing the removing the beans from the plants without losing any beans because that's very important when they're doing the research most of the most of the industrial soybean threshers of course are doing this they're, they're threshing beans for produce and you know they have a, an acceptable loss percentage that they they work with but when you're doing research, you really have to account for every bean because you're usually measuring mass or moisture content or um, counting the number of beans per plant or whatever else. And so um, we're trying, to, we're trying to, to fill that need for them, and that was the idea of the project. And as I was reading through the information that was sent to me, you guys spend a lot of time not only in the classroom but in the books and really getting to the basics before they even actually get to build anything. That is, that is correct, and that's, um, that's quite important in engineering to, to emphasize that designing is not just about getting out there and building something because you need to make sure that you've kind of you've, you've covered all your bases. You make sure, well, first of all, one of the things that's really important is to understand what the problem actually is. Many times when we try to go out and solve a problem for somebody, we don't even understand what their problem is. They may not even understand what their problem is. And so asking questions, doing research, um, following up, um, asking more questions, um, that, that, that's a huge part of the design project process because you need to understand what the problem actually is. And during that process, you may actually find that their problem is a different problem than they thought they had. And so you don't want to solve a problem that didn't actually need to be solved. But that happens all the time. It happens in many industries all the time where we go out to, to solve one problem, we end up making it worse because we solved a problem that didn't need to be solved. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a very common, common thing. So in engineering, we try to stress this idea of figuring out what the problem actually is through research and questions and, 
and uh, interaction with the client. And then once you find that out, then coming up with the solutions that are going to actually solve that problem, uh, testing those solutions using logic, digital prototyping, whatever else you need to do before you even start building anything. And uh, that's a big part of what this class is about is the planning aspect rather than the actual prototyping or building aspect. So when, I understand they'll have it ready, the plan is for this spring, for them to be able to utilize it um, either spring or summer. How is the project coming along? What stage are they at in this thresher? So what usually happens with this project, this class is only one semester long, and I'm, I'm looking at changing that because it just doesn't give us quite enough time to finish projects. And what usually happens is the students will get about to the prototyping stage. They'll start prototyping, start building a prototype, and then the class is over. And then if students want to continue to participate in, in completing the prototype and testing the prototype, then they can do that on their own time in the, in the next semester. But usually what happens is I end up finishing it and I end up testing it and then delivering it to the clients. Right now they've, they actually got to the, the big beginning of the prototyping. They actually built the cabinet to hold the machine and they built some of the machine parts, but they didn't complete that, that uh, process. But, you know, we do all that we can in the 15 weeks that we have. Um, so, I mean, it is a plan for the future to maybe have a follow-up course in the spring where the students come back and they complete the project, they test the prototype, they um, redesign anything that needs to be improved, and then they deliver this prototype for uh, evaluation to the client. A learning process from start to finish. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. Look at these closing livestock numbers. Joe Teal joins us at Great Plains Commodities. And I tell you, some negative on the screen for our livestock, at least on the cattle side today. Cattle uh, lowered sharply lower, including the feeders, and the hogs uh, sharply higher. So it uh, very much uh, a definite contrast in uh, what happened today. Cattle started out uh, mixed and uh, traded around for a while, and then uh, as the uh, cutouts came out or just before, uh, we started to see it slip, and uh, uh, cutouts uh, over $4. Lower that was uh, uh, kind of the uh, uh, icing on the cake, and down we came. Uh, uh, apparently, the uh, auction, the superior auction, didn't go real well, just steady money on, on very few cattle, and uh, that uh, kind of put a damper on things also. We tried to rally uh, late in the session, then fell back, uh, and we ended up with uh, triple-digit gains. The only one that didn't was the uh, nearby December, which is tied to that cash. And uh, uh, Heading into a cattle on feed report this Friday, uh, uh, expectations are running high for uh, heavy, uh, heavier placements and uh, uh, than last year, so well, we'll see what happens there. Over in the hogs, the cash steady to higher. Uh, cutouts were a little lower at noon, but it was the cash that I think held uh, things together. Got some short covering, and uh, uh, that pushed the uh, hogs higher for the day. Thanks so much, Joe Teal. Join us at Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. at UNL lend a helping hand at just the right time. Good afternoon. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. 
Since 1920, the Omaha Home for Boys has provided care and support for at-risk youth ages 14 to 23 in the Omaha area. One of the things that makes the Omaha Home for Boys different? They use livestock as a method to learn responsibility, practice respect, and build self-confidence. The boys then have the opportunity to participate in 4-H, exhibiting the livestock that are housed at the Cooper Farm. Managing the farm is Mike Palace. We use cattle as our uh, teachers. Kids show livestock, cattle and sheep both, and uh, we expose city. Mostly these are city kids to uh, ag life, basically, and cattle is a big part of it. And over in the overall process of the thing, Bryce, we get to show our calves out at local fairs and shows and stuff, and it exposes the public to what these kids can accomplish. They're not bad kids. This time of year, the Cooper Farm begins clipping the calves, a process that can take up to an hour each. Clipping the calves is physically demanding, and when one of the farm workers was injured in an accident, Mike was not sure how he was going to be able to prepare the calves for the boys to work with. My assistant who works with me, who uh, does all the clipping, had an accident and bruised some ribs, had a cow knocked me into the feed bunks and, and bruised some ribs really, really bad, and it's hard for him to even lift his arms up. But Mike knew just who to call, an experienced 4-H exhibitor and college student who had a network of potential help. Garrett Long, a student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and a member of the Alpha Gamma Rho fraternity. It took him half a second to say, you betcha, uh, we can help you out. Worked out four of them showed up that day. Garrett and his three fellow AGR brothers, Ryan Schroeder, Emmett Caldwell, and Hunter Schroeder, traveled from Lincoln to the Cooper Farm on the outskirts of Omaha to assist with the clipping process. Uh, we're always willing to help. We know if we were there, uh, my palace would help anything with us, and we knew they had an issue, and we didn't have any problem filling in. Alpha Gamma Rho is a fraternity focused on leadership, social, and professional development. Unlike most other fraternities, the common bond that AGR members share is that they're all preparing for an agriculture or food-related career. Garrett said they were happy to assist. I mean, for what they do with Omaha and for boys and all the time they take, uh, I mean, it's only right for us to be able to help a lending hand and make sure they can get everything done. Mike Palace said he was grateful for their assistance. That's how, and I'm not just saying cattle kids, bad kids in general, they're just like that. You know, you need help, and uh, they come running. And in my book, uh, these four gentlemen that came out there uh, here that day, they punched their ticket with me. If they ever need anything, I'll come running for them, too. Now, just a few days away from Christmas, all is merry again at Cooper Farm. A donation of grain, feed, or livestock to the Cooper Farm can offer a unique tax-saving opportunity. This donation also creates a growth opportunity for young men who participate in 4-H or work at the farm. Palace says without these donations, the Cooper Farm would not be able to exist. And, and people out of the blue sometimes call, hey, I got a calf for you, or hey, I got some corn, or, or I got a, a load of hay coming your way. If it wouldn't be for them type of people, we wouldn't have the program we have today. We're asking to, for them to give us something, and they do it with open arms. And, of course, if you'd like to learn more or possibly learn how to make a donation, you can log on to Omaha Home for Boys. That's all one word. Again, omahahomeforboys.org. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin.
Good afternoon. As we take a look at the grain side of the market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. John Payne is joining us, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing out of Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, we got some green, at least for the corn and the wheat for the most part. Soybeans, though, have still continued to see a struggle. Yeah, beans have really taken it on the chin this week. I'm not sure if it's just a January delivery. We have options expire on Friday, and then we'll enter that delivery period uh, starting next week. Um, you know, and take note of this, everybody. Uh, the grain markets in these oversupplied levels, quote-unquote, that we've been seeing, uh, the, the time to not own this stuff is when folks are being put to the decision of whether to price or roll. Price has really been one to break. Uh, I would like to think we've got lows in, but... Uh, you know, we've been down nine out of the last ten, ten sessions, and I think, um, you know, there may be a little more to go here. Uh, 940 price feels like a real real steep support level uh, if this thing would liquidate down to that price. South America looks like they're going to get some much more needed moisture once again, at least on the short term. Yeah, that's kind of, I think, the story right now. That combined with the uh, Brazilian rail that's rallied a little bit here in the last couple of days, and... Um, and then, of course, the U.S. acreage story. So you're starting to see some acreage numbers come out. Informa came out this week with, I guess, a, kind of a flip-flop of this year where we had 89 million acres of beans, 90 million-plus acres of corn. They switched that around. And, um, maybe that's what's got the trade moving south a little bit. I, I, again, I think it has a lot more to do with uh, the delivery than the weather. I think the, the premium has essentially been taken out of the market here, but there's still value. And I think as we get through the week and in next week, market will find some footing. And definitely some quiet trade that is continuing for the corn market. Yeah, corn, I mean, gosh, I'm pumping my fist right now, being up one three-quarter cents. It's, uh, you know, those are victories on day in markets like these. But I'll tell everybody in my newsletter this week, I you know, published a chart of where we were a year ago. We settled January 1 of, 2016, of 2017 at 352. We're at 349 and a quarter right now. March corn a year ago saw prices into the 380s. Not saying that we're going to go there, but I think there's a good opportunity for markets to rally a little bit once we get into the first of the year. Uh, and then, of course, you know the wheat markets uh, very slow as, as normal. We are starting to see this thing climb a little bit here in the shorter run, and um, you know the market has uh, just a lot more upside. I think in the wheat markets here, if the the rain stays away from Kansas. Well, it's nice. Any sort of little victory we can get towards a holiday season, we'll definitely take it. Thank you. Yeah, to get uh, any route for that. And, and again, I know there's a lot of pessimism out there right now. I think that's that's essentially a good for a turning point in the market. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, John. John Payne is joining us with Senior Market Analyst at Daniels Ag Marketing. You can contact him at danielsmarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.